welcome to Connecting Citizens to Science, a podcast from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine about engaging communities in global health research. I'm Kim Ozano. And I'm Bea Eggard. And throughout this series, we'll be talking to researchers from around the world, exploring how they connect with people to address a range of challenges in global health. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. This month's series is all about non-communicable diseases, or NCDs. In this week's episode, we will be talking about the economic impact of NCDs on East African communities. But before we begin, let's say hi to Joseph. Joseph, how are you today? Yeah, it's it's, it's a lovely warm day today and uh, yeah, happy to meet you all. So my background is in medicine and uh, I've been working in, um, in academic research, particularly around uh, infectious diseases in, um, in, in low middle income countries. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And straight to our guests. So let me welcome, first of all, Dr. Josephine Berongi. Welcome. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Thank you very much, Kim. And I'm happy to be here to, to talk about myself and also be part of this podcast. So I'm Josephine. My background is medicine. I am based in Uganda and I, I have about 15 years experience of working with people living with HIV and doing research and now doing uh, also currently working with NCDs and more recently for the last four five years with family and I have children that I keep uh, telling very many stories of my care for people living with HIV. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, keep those stories going. That's what it's all about. And our second guest, Dr. Stephen Watiti. Welcome. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks, Jim, and thanks, Joseph, and all listeners. I'm really uh, blessed to be here this afternoon. As you've been told, my name is Stephen, Dr. Stephen Watiti. I'm speaking from Kampala, Uganda. My background, I'm a doctor by training, but currently I'm more into retirement, not practicing actively, because I started after practicing for about 35 years, really. But why I'm in the health promotion now is because I'm a person living with HIV, which I've lived with for over 35 years. And uh, at the height of my problems of living with the disease, I developed advanced HIV disease. That was in 1999. My CD4 count was very low, below, it was actually 160. And because of that, I developed a multiple list of diseases. I got TB, including MDR-TB, and while I was being treated for that, I discovered I had Kaposi sarcoma. So I'm a cancer survivor. I had the oral Kaposi sarcoma. And then at the same time, I developed cryptococcal meningitis. So I was taken back to Mulago Hospital, which is the Makere University Teaching Hospital, which, uh, where I was trained to be a doctor to die. That is 1999. But thank God I didn't die. And that's why I'm here to tell this story that I was put on ARVs then and uh, improved. Then when I went back to practice, I noticed that many of my patients were very, very uncomfortable with their diagnosis. So slowly I started telling them that I myself was HIV positive. I remember my first experience telling that and my patient actually ran out of my room because he thought, oh, I thought you're going to help me now. You're also dying like me. That was so frustrating. But anyway, I eventually, regrouped and started writing. I got radios. I, I, I sometimes hold really uh, what I call town hall meetings, talk about HIV. And now 
as I grow older, because now I'm 69, soon turning 70, I talk about NCDs, non-communicable diseases, because there are many of my compatriots who have them. I am married to Naomi. We have grown up children. And I recently got a beautiful grandson, although I haven't seen him yet physically because he's in the US. That's me. Wow, that's quite the introduction. And you sound like an immensely interesting and informative person to talk to. It also sounds like you're situated as a, a community advocate with so much experience to, to share. And lovely to hear about your family too. Thank you for sharing that with us. So listeners, I think we're going, we agreed we would hear from Stephen Watiti about his experience in another episode. So look out for that. And it also links to our TB survivor story from Mary. So check out that as well. So thank you so much for those introductions. Um, so we're just bringing back to the economic impact of, of NCDs, we try to understand the context where you are working. So Josephine, perhaps you could tell us a bit about the context where you were working and the impact this has on engaging communities. So I work in, um, like I said, in lower uh, income country and um, most of the resources are, are never enough, never enough. So the health uh, facilities, that's the public health facilities that are here in Uganda, for long, the systems have been designed to respond to acute infections. So in malaria, the upper respiratory tract infections. And so uh, it, and that's where the big burden is. If you look at HIV AIDS, that's where the, the big burden was those days. And so a lot of uh, care and even the training and even the practice has been a lot in acute care for infectious conditions. So it's, it's working under constraints in terms of resources for the health care workers. So with the NCDs coming or the non-communicable diseases coming in the picture, you're complicating the system. I don't know if that paints the picture of where we work. Thank you, it does. Um, and Stephen, do you have anything to add to that? What what do we need to consider when we're really trying to understand the economic impact of NCDs on people? It needs looking at um, the fact that people have priorities. We think about uh, people living with HIV in particular who may develop these because those are the ones I know most. Most of the people living with HIV, and we have about 1.5 million Ugandans, people in Uganda living with HIV, most are on ARVs. And most of these ARVs are available thanks to PEPFA, uh, the American uh, government, uh, and then the Global Fund, because they fund almost 90% of the ART programs in Uganda. They are well-funded, so ARVs are available and people can take them. Now, when people develop uh, diseases other than HIV, like uh, diabetes or high blood pressure or cancer and even depression, very common among people living with HIV, then they may be prescribed this medicine, but the no medicines are not there and people are told to go and buy. And for example, during a time when children are going back to school, the priority of a, a mother is to go and send their child back to school and they will not buy this medicine. So they may stretch the medicine which is there. So they end up having this disease not comp uh, what, uh, controlled. So it is a big problem, especially when people are not sick. You know, if you have malaria, you are, vomiting, you have a headache, 
you can you can you 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 are forced to go and buy antimalarials, but or sell a goat or chicken, but nobody will sell a goat or chicken to treat high blood pressure, which has which is asymptomatic. It's the problem. Or to even go and check for diabetes, which is which is fairly common uh, among uh, now specialized people age, and also those who live with the with the with the with the, with the, with the uh, who are on the Arabis, some of them which cause this. That's what I would say. Thank you very much. Just for our listeners, Stephen, can you, uh, ARVs, can you tell us what that is? Ah, ARVs are the drugs, um, antiretroviral drugs, because HIV is called a retrovirus. So the medicines that are used to treat the or human immunodeficiency virus, which is a retrovirus, are called antiretroviral drugs, or in short, ARVs. Thank you. I wanted to add on to what um, Stephen has just shared. The most current statistics in this country show that about in insane urban areas, about 35% of our population, that's about 42 million, 35% of the 42 million are living with hypertension. And the lowest region it was about 22. That's a huge problem. There are only about 22 cardiologists. But the, the burden is increasing. So you find that even the countries overwhelmed, uh, recently when we were talking about the need, the need for the budget, we have the, what the country can avail is 2 billion Ugandan shillings. But when they calculated the need, it was about 13.3 billion shillings. So the gap is there and it's a, it's a strain. And I, we don't know, they are just saying, how do we find this? Uh, to help bridge this gap. So we have that burden of the NCD and the gap. Thank you. Thanks very much. Those are huge numbers, and it's really good to give that context. We've heard from the last two episodes as well that NCDs is a, a huge problem, and it's still increasing, and having the resources and what's needed to address it isn't there yet. So I'm going to head to Joseph to take over and explore that a little bit more. Thanks, Kim. Justin, would you say that this is a burden, financial burden specific to Uganda, or you think you know these are more far-fetched? So? I think this is a burden for Africa. Okay, what I've talked about is Uganda, but uh, I hear similar stories from different countries. We work in collaboration with Tanzania, with other countries, they, this, and especially in the area of drug supplies. There are other constraints, human resources, the equipment, the lab equipment. Stephen, just to follow on with that. So Josephine has um, talked about, um, you know, drugs. You, you are a medic, and I think she was mentioning some statistics about patient and, uh, and her worker ratios. Do you have any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I think <clears throat> what is also real lacking is lack of what I would call health literacy among the populations about these diseases. Mm. In my country, for one reason or another, when you are plump, when you put on a lot of weight, you are thought to be doing well. Uh, people in the communities think, okay, you have a bit of money. And so you see people who, they, well, the middle-income people are the ones with, so lack of health literacy, but also lack of treatment literacy. People who are on treatment, if you compare people who have non-communicable diseases uh, with those who are on ARVs and retroviral drugs I already talked about, because of the lot of sensitization and treatment literacy campaigns that we're involved in, 
uh, there is a lot of knowledge about this. Now with hypertension or high blood pressure, people are not aware of this. Even for example, the people controlling high blood pressure by looking at what they eat, it, it, it is amazing to see that ignorance is so, so ripe in concerning non-communicable diseases if you compare it with diseases like HIV, which are, we have over the decades really hammered home almost every day you can find a message either on a radio or even in a school child you ask them they will know something about uh, what causes hiv and so on and so forth i think this is one of the other things that is really lacking and this is what is going to really push the uh, problem further lack of healthy literacy many people come to uh, to, to seek care when they have strokes or they have kidneys are damaged because they don't know that early treatment and even good adherence to the treatment is the way to go. For example, how many of some of us have managed to live with HIV for decades and we don't look sick, we are okay. And yet we take medication. Now that's the other thing. If it's very difficult to take medication when you are not feeling sick. So how do they develop this new habit of being on medication daily? That is another thing that we need to invest in healthy literacy and the information uh, provision that people can make informed decisions about their health and that of others. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Steve. So presumably, you know, um, in in any given any situation, there are people who having to make sort of these almost like we say, you know, judgments about you know where to spend their money, uh, either from the perspective of like Justin said, governments. You know, you. You have two billion, and you've got um, a budget of thirteen billion. But um, Stephen, so for individuals, let's say people who have these these chronic conditions, what you know, what does it mean for for people's finances to have either one or two or three of these of these chronic conditions? Difficult. I'm thinking about uh, Joseph. <laughs> Your namesake. He's a real patient. Okay. Afraid of buying. He has HIV. His HIV is controlled. But because HIV was called slim disease during the early days, people slimmed up. Mm. Now, HIV, uh, Joseph is obese. He's on the ARVs and is obese. And because of that, he developed high blood pressure. He gets the ARVs free. Now he cannot afford the pressure drugs. Mm. Because of conflicts, as I mentioned earlier, he has children who have to go to school. It's, it's, it's tough because you have to buy this and these drugs are not given free. There is no budget for them in the government. Unlike, for example, ARVs, which we, of course we get because of the uh, Global Fund and PEPFAR uh, programs. So it is, means a lot. It could mean if, this, if they've come very sick and they have to buy these drugs, they have to forego other things like maybe school or even health of the others. Because if the father is sick, that means children will not be able to be treated because in Uganda, most of the treatment is out of pocket. So it is a big, big burden. And when, as, even as people die, when they become very sick, they are even given uh, useless drugs, useless treatment. And they, by the time they die, people are poor, they have sold land. It is, it is, it is pathetic. Most of the expenditure is out of pocket. It's when you have that you're able to buy. And uh, maybe just to add that the government actually provides something, like I said, 2 billion is set aside for NCD, it needs 13 billion. So 
it was a layman who goes to the facility all the time and doesn't find drugs. Uh, or to anyone who goes there and every time they say out of stock, they will actually say, huh, I don't think government. But government is also trying, it's trying, they really tried. But like you said, I think you, you said earlier that people have to choose. I've been at one of the health, public health facilities and I have, uh, uh, when they are locating funds, they say, oh, the malaria cases are so many, the, the upper respiratory tract, then the antenatal uh, care for the women. So they allocate according to the burden they have. And sometimes even with the NCD, they'll say maybe for much as we have this, these ones again are more, uh, are more money. So priority, like we said, sometimes the facilities are also overwhelmed, balancing between uh, the infectious and the non-infectious conditions. But the government is trying to get something. It's not enough. We just need something more to help with the, with the, especially the financing for this. It does seem to me that, um, yeah, I, I could be wrong, but it does appear that priority is probably placed on conditions that are maybe more visible or those that have more acute um, consequences from what you've sort of described. So. Potentially, this would mean a lot of the communicable diseases. So, how, therefore, people with more chronic conditions may be considered not as important? I, I could be wrong, but yeah, would would like to get your views on that. They are they are considered important, but I think it's more the, the, like you said, there is the visibility, yes, but also you know that uh, with the with the fifty thousand shillings. I can cater for more people with the malaria and the very few with NCD. I think you see, maybe if I'm cater for 10, the same budget I would use on 10 people with malaria who come to my facility, the same budget maybe I would use for one or two persons. So even if they shared out the, the funds uh, equally, you find that it will never be enough for the people living with non-communicable diseases. And that's one. But the other issue that we need also to work on is the data. The systems, like we said, have been set for acute and acute uh, amino infectious diseases. Very good records for HIV, very good systems, which I think we can borrow to establish the real burden. I think, it will, of course, I listened recently to one of the commissioners from the ministry, and I, I think I agree with them that, they, like Joseph has said, that it's not going to be enough. And the empowering people to form uh, saving associations because that will help because like, um, it's like an insurance because we don't have insurance. So, but this doesn't, people must be helped. So being in a group means you can pull your resources and the, you can learn from each other. I think this is something that the, the government certainly will, will encourage and for us, especially our community people, I would encourage people to team up uh, to know and talk about it. Uh, luckily, they, these diseases don't carry a lot of stigma like HIV. Uh, so people can talk about having diabetes, can talk about having high blood pressure. But then, the, 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 as I mentioned, when you talk about them, they, it, they, it was thought these are diseases of people who are well to do. So it's a double-edged thing. I think in the long run, this is the way to go, to encourage people to know that these are diseases that are not curable. First and foremost, 
they are preventable. Even the, 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 the effects are preventable, like the strokes, if we know what to do, like lose weight or uh, reduce stress and, and so on and so forth. I think that's what we need to do, working with government, but also working with communities to empower them to know what to do other than waiting for these drugs. In any case, most of these are also preventable, all of them really. So we could work on that. But again, there is not much money for prevention programs. Interesting. Uh, thanks, Stephen. How do you think that integrating the care systems for all these conditions can help with offset some of these financial burdens? If I may go first, for example, if like Joseph Ruman mentioned, he has HIV mm. and he goes once every three months, maybe, or six months, or to go and collect the ARVs. If, they, if this care and treatment is integrated, it means he doesn't have to make another journey to go. And actually integrating them may even help reduce the stigma associated with, with HIV because nobody will know whether I'm going to collect my antihypertensives or drugs for, for diabetes or ARVs. And as Josephine mentioned, we have a very poor, you know, very high doctor-patient ratio. Uh, often many of these patients are seen by lower cadres, and they are also not there. Most Many of them, when, when they go for further studies, don't come back. Uh, they, they, they stay abroad because the, 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 the grass is greener there. So integrating will at least reduce the burden on, for example, of having to make another journey. Many of these have to take long trips because uh, hospitals and health centers are far away. But secondly, I already talked about health education. Health education, for example, when you're educating people, like yesterday I was at uh, one of the health units, they're talking about uh, actually NCDs, mainly high blood pressure, um, with people living with HIV, and they're very, very happy to hear. A few of them had, but more of them, I was telling them how to prevent them. So you can give health education, use the same people, you don't have to tell them to come back. So this would reduce, and the, also helping them to form association, which I mentioned, when they are meet together once in a while and, and learn from what we have uh, successfully done with HIV, I think we can also do for these NCDs uh, that are on the rise. Um, let me just paint for you a picture of this patient. Currently, in many of the facilities, we have the vertical care. You have for, you come for your HIV and then come another day for your NCD. So this patient may come to the HIV clinic and the person sees them and asks them for, say, liver function tests. When he goes to the NCD clinic on another day, because they are not linked, they are not integrated. This, and the, the, so the patient has actually to incur that cost on both. And I mentioned already learning from HIV, the strong systems, the community systems that were in HIV can actually support some of this burden, reduce the burden, like we're saying, the economic impact. If we have stable patients like it is in HIV who receive their care from the community and only come to the facility once in a while, that is something that for me, learning from HIV would actually uh, reduce the economic burden uh, on the patient, the facility, but also the, the reduce the constraint, the human resource constraint that we have. So integration for me, is, is a good way to proceed. I think I want to, just to add that 
focusing on the patient other than focusing on the disease would be the is, is what what we should do. Like I mentioned, I've been living with HIV for 35 years. Luckily now I don't have any non-communicable diseases. Okay, uh, but as I age, suppose I develop uh, maybe depression or dementia or what. Now telling me to go in another clinic, my doctor could handle some of them. In any case here, yeah, there aren't many specialists. I think that is passing on the on the own because a person can have different diseases. You can have diabetes, have HIV, have high blood pressure, and then have depression at the same time. So you will end up attending all these and maybe along the way, God forbid you get uh, cancer. So you have to attend like five clinics. This is unsustainable. I think focusing on the patient other than focusing on the diseases would be the way forward. Thanks so much. Okay. Joseph, we are looking at integrating this care at the lower level facilities for, for the patients who don't have any complications so that the specialists at the higher level or the tertiary institutions can handle actually patients that actually need those who have complications. And so it will reduce the, the number of people that have to go to the tertiary level. Very interesting conversations we've had. So just to uh, see if I can pull it all together now. So we've we've sort of, we all agree that the, the care for uh, non-communicable diseases places a huge burden on on finances, I, you know, from the level of the government down to the individual and people and governments are, are being forced to make some very, very difficult choices about what to do with the resources that that are quite limited and and resources here it's not just about the money but you know the human resource all the other things that comes with managing uh, the, these health systems and then as steven has sort of mentioned you know it, it, it is quite heartbreaking where you know people have to decide between either food or clothes for the for their children compared to medicines and um, having integrated care helps to one which is probably more critical address focus the on the individual not on the condition and it it may not solve all the problem but it would help to maximize um you know whatever resources that is available i hope i've done some justice to that summary <laughs> that's good <laughs> oh, okay thanks um back to you kim thank you very much indeed an interesting conversation uh I'm going to ask for your advice in a moment, but I wonder, we've talked a lot in previous episodes and this one about the learning that can come from the experience of HIV. And my understanding is that HIV over the years has received a lot of financial backing um, internationally and nationally uh, that I understand, you know, it took some time. I wonder if you could comment on, will we be able to apply these lessons with the current resources for NCDs? recognizing that integration is one way forward. Any comments on that? Yes and no. Yes, for example, from the community side, we know that resources will, will, will always be scarce. I don't think there, is, there may be a global fund to, to treat uh, hypertension in Africa or PEPFA programs similar to treaties. However, <clears throat> from the community perspective, we have seen what communities can do, for example, by pooling their resources together. And this is 
sometimes it's not necessarily money as, as I have to say, but ideas on how to deal with this from prevention, promotion, treatment, which we are talking about, because many of the what are called these need this what? This is this is because we did not promote health. We saw them maybe they were malnourished or they were living lifestyles and we didn't do much or how we didn't prevent and then they developed this. But even of course, even with the best prevention, still people get these diseases. Then we would concentrate on, for example, saving. Seeing this, how even village saving associations have done quite a little bit of work by putting a coin together. Uh, you know that at the end of three months, I'm going to go and collect medicine. I'll then be able to go have transport. And then realizing that, okay, we are three pound the same medicine. We don't all have to go. Can we pull resources? And for example, one person goes and picks this medicine for us. That, that will help. I think that me would, community would uh, attend the, the case, the, 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 the game around for us here. I think there's some key lessons there for, uh researchers, policymakers, and funders as well. So thank you very much for sharing that. Josephine, to close this episode, we would like to ask you, what advice would you give to others working in the field of NCDs, but also advice do you have to better connect with communities and people? One, working with NCDs, it's a multi-sectoral condition, I should say. You, you need the health, you need the, the medical field, you need the agricultural field, you need the planning field. So the first thing is to, to broaden out, to know that this is not one sector. So I, I think we can prevent at a minimum cost than uh, manage or treat at a maximum cost. So I, I think for me, we should channel also more effort in prevention persons working in the NCD. Prevention for me, because this is another time bomb we are sitting on. One time it was going to become the another HIV, another epidemic. That, that's my, the way I've seen it. Uh, then uh, community coming to your question on community. If, I'm, if there's anything I want to learn, as to learn from HIV, it is the way they have engaged with the community. Even when the drugs were very were not available, I remember the advocacy from the community, from the persons living with HIV, uh, helped make this possible. So I want to say that we need to engage with the patients right now. We need to empower them right now. And when you empower them, they will always also be able to, to bridge the gap where we are not. Yeah, I think for me, those are the things I would advise the, the people who want to work in NCD. Thank you. Thank you very much. And to close the episode, Stephen, uh, last words. What can we as researchers do to better connect with communities? I think the importance of with from the beginning, because normally I've seen, especially with research, they involve the communities when they are in the exception, when they have some protocols because they have to get the participants. But afterwards, this information, when the articles have been published and the awards have been won and the PhDs have been acquired, this information is not with the community. I think the importance of learning to mental language, being able to defy science, if I may say, or research, and knowing that it is meant to make life better 
or avoid us uh, handle because these problems will be their problems are part of life but we should have better ways or new ways or improved ways of handling problems i think this is what i would do involving community at all levels of research and then importance of findings coming to to the community i would like i've always said that if i cannot aim uh, proviral drugs to my mother who is 92 in my mother tongue and she said, ah, then I don't think I know what they are. I think that's what I, I would like to end with. Importance of simplifying and talking to the language so that the person can be able to pick and improve their quality of life. It's an amazing ending to this podcast and a very strong message for all our researchers out there. Thank you so much to our guests for your wonderful input and to Joseph, our co-host. And to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in again. Please do like, share and subscribe. Remember, we are on Spotify and also on iTunes and Google. So thank you once again and goodbye to our guests and goodbye to Joseph. Bye for now. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye.